Hi, welcome to Eurocron. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Eurocron is a podcast where we chronicle extraordinary people and their extraordinary stories. Our goal is simple, entertain, inspire, educate, and at times humor our audience while our guests build their audio legacy. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. My next guest on your cron is Mort Mather. Mort is the founder and for 15 years, the owner, along with his son, Josh, the chef, and his wife, Barbara, who's the dining room manager of Joshua's Restaurant and Bar in Wells, Maine. Joshua's is well known for outstanding farm-to-table selections well before the term farm-to-table was widely known. Just last year, Mort's very own farm supplied over 12,000 pounds of organic vegetables to his restaurant. Mort began his career as a theatrical stage manager, touring everything from ballet, the Joffrey Ballet, and burlesque, Minsky Burlesque Follies, and worked with Alan Alda and Rita Marino, to name drop a few. Stage managing brought Mort to the Ogunquit Playhouse in Maine, where he purchased 100 acres, met his wife, retired from theater, and became a subsistence farmer. Mort served three years as president of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. He founded Lodholm Trust, a nonprofit that saved a farm on Maine's coast from development, which later became the Wells National Estuarine Research Reserve. Mort also founded the Ogunquit Playhouse Foundation that saved the historic playhouse from development. Mort is also the author of three books and currently writing a play. Wow, that is quite a resume, sir. <laughs> Mort Mather, welcome to Yurkron. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, really, really glad to have you on and to uh, learn more about uh, the restaurant and everything else you do, which is, is quite a bit. So uh, where is a good place to start your extraordinary story, Mort? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess... I guess I would say, first of all, that uh, I'm fond of saying that, that this is my best incarnation ever. I don't know that uh, there were any before or that there will be any later, but I just can't imagine a better life than than the one I'm living. Uh, and I find that a lot of people seem to know where they're going. And for me, it's more like... Uh, like an amusement park ride. I, I, I got on the ride and I'm, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, uh, so most of the things that, that, uh, most of the big events that you've, that you've just mentioned, uh, were not anything that I planned on or ever thought I would do and, until, until something came along and, and there I was, uh, uh, doing what what's in like I I should be doing. For, for instance, writing, for example. Uh, I first when when Barbara and I uh, moved here, uh, settled on the farm here in Maine permanently. Uh, we were going to raise our own vegetables, and I was still doing theater work. I was going out and doing going to New York and around the country doing various jobs. And uh, we're sitting here one time, and, and she said, oh, there's a meeting she read about in the paper for the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Uh, the first meeting, uh, it's kind of an organizational meeting for the, the local chapter, and we needed to go. Well, it was scheduled for Monday night, and I was a football fan, so I didn't want to go anywhere. There was Monday night football. Of course. <laughs> but she, she dragged me to it. <laughs> And uh, it was an interesting group of people. Uh, among them were uh, Tom and Kate Chapel. I don't know if you've uh, aware of uh, Tom's of Maine uh, toothpaste and products like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the chapels were there. And uh, anyway, it was a very interesting group of people. But the person who had started the thing, which the, all we talked about the first meeting was how to get more people there. And we said, well, we're all interesting people. Let's meet again. And so we did. 
and the same agenda. How do we get more people? <laughs> and so, so I, I said, uh, well, the, the woman who was supposedly uh, getting notice in the paper, it, there wasn't a notice. And she said, I think the paper doesn't like organic uh, agriculture. They're against us, and they're not putting notice in the paper. Mm. So I thought, well, okay, I'll write a couple of articles about gardening, and maybe I can, maybe they'll take the articles, and then I can sneak message notice of the uh, of the meetings into the articles. So I did that, and I called the editor, and I made an appointment, and I went in, and he came down from his office and met me in the down in the you know just inside the door basically, and he said, "Well, most of our all of our most of our all of our articles are done by staff, really." And I said. Oh, okay. And I turned to go. I said, what's it about? I said, gardening. He said, oh, great idea. Come on upstairs. <laughs> Just <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, that was great. So uh, I went upstairs and, and he said, uh, just thought it was a terrific idea. And I had two copies there. He didn't even look at them. He just, uh, one of them was on food and the other one was on gardening. And I told him that. He said, oh, I'll take both of them. He said, I can only pay you 10 cents an inch. I said, oh, okay, <laughs> that's an inch. I was going to do it for free. <laughs> uh, and that started me writing a bit, and I became a professional writer. And I wrote a gardening, a weekly gardening column for 20 years. Five years later, uh, somebody called me up. I got a telephone call. I said, introduced himself as a publisher and said, would I write a book for him? And I said, oh, geez, I'm awfully busy. He said, I'll give you a $5,000 advance. I said, when do you want it? <laughs> so, so, my, my schedule just freed up. <laughs> so, so that's how my first book got done, uh, Gardening for Independence. Um, and it's just, you know, I could, I, I could go back to how I got into theater, which was my first career. And uh, I, was, uh, I was still in high school. And uh, one of my uh, classmates uh, who lived nearby came by the house and said, uh, I've got a job at the Lambertville Music Circus uh, running props and I need more people. Do you want to do it? Then we could carpool. That's how I started working in theater. And, <laughs> and from that, I, I uh, after four years in the after I graduated, after four years in, in the Coast Guard, uh, I actually got my actor's equity card uh, from working at the, at the uh, Lambertville Music Circus. So, you know, again, it's just uh, people come along and <laughs> have great ideas or have a need or something. I don't know. <laughs> Did, more, did you have an interest in theater before you were offered a job in the circus? Did you have any interest at all? And, and if you did, how did that develop? Uh, no, I had, I had been to uh, the Lambertville Music Circus once. Oh, okay. uh, my mother took me there, there once. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I knew it was there. You know, it was uh, six miles from where we were living. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will say that the only kind of interesting thing like that is that I have this memory of, of uh, being in the movies one time, uh, and we didn't go to the movies very much at all, but this was, uh, I was in the movie watching Daddy Longlegs and, and watched the credits at the end and thought that I would like to be a director. Now, how I had any idea of what that might entail, I don't know, but, uh, but when I went to college, that's what I, that's what I studied, and that's what I wanted to be was a theatrical director, not movies, but theater. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so in your bio, um, you were a stage manager, and for those of us not familiar with what a stage manager does, including myself, <laughs> can you describe what it's like being a stage manager? A stage manager uh, serves the director during rehearsals and is kind of in charge of seeing that that the uh, that the schedules are made and kept uh, that the scripts are there when 
uh, when needed, uh, coordinates between uh, the director and the set designers and the costumers, just kind of coordinates everything uh, and makes everything go smoothly uh, up until opening night. Opening night then, uh, the stage manager calls the show. And by calling the show, well, the first thing a stage manager does uh, before a performance is uh, announces to the cast, half hour, half hour, please. Mm. And then 15 minutes, and then five minutes, and then uh, places. Uh, and so that's just over the intercom in the theater to, to you know, backstage. Uh, so keep the cast on their toes and ready to go. Uh, and then uh, call the curtain up and call all the light cues. Uh, and everything is everything technical that happens, light and sound and everything, uh, is called by the stage manager. Uh, and the, the other thing is that generally after a show opens, the director is pretty much gone. And it's up to the stage manager to, uh, to stage manager essentially takes over from, from the director at that point. What does the director do after they leave? Well, directors, if, if, if we're talking about summer stock, for example, where you do, you're doing a show a week or a show every other week, mm -hmm. the director then goes on to the next show and starts directing the next show. Uh, and on Broadway, a director will open the show and, and then probably be around for a few weeks after that and, and giving some, some more notes to, to polish up the performances. Mm -hmm. uh, but generally, is is gone. It, the director's job is pretty much done when the, uh, when the show opens. Hmm. Alan Alda, of course, mashed many other credits to his name, and Rita Marino, uh, who had supporting roles in The King and I and West Side Story. What was it like working with them? Oh, that was one of the, one of the most fun experiences I've had. It was interesting. Alan starred in the show was The Alan the Pussycat, and it's a two-character show. Uh, and Alan starred in that on Broadway. Uh, and... Uh, he he didn't like that. He thought it could be better directed than it was. Hmm. Uh, so when somebody offered him an opportunity to uh, play it in a, in a stock theater uh, off Broadway a year or so after it closed, uh, he accepted with the caveat that he would direct it. So he directed himself uh, and uh, and Rita. Uh, and uh, hired his, uh, brought along his understudy on Broadway uh, as assistant director, so that uh, uh, his name's going to escape me at the moment, but well, very few people would recognize it anyway. Uh, but so we had a, a rehearsal hall in, uh, in Manhattan, uh, and was by, so I went to the you know we it was hired for uh, for a week and uh, and I was the stage manager and I uh, taped the uh, with masking tape put down the floor plan of the uh, of the set uh, and put chairs around and things so that they had a set to work off of and that's that's the way you know generally we'd rehearse something. Uh, in a rehearsal hall before we got the real set um, to work on. Mm -hmm. But what was really fun was on breaks, we would just, I, I really brought in a, a game called Perquacky. <laughs> uh, it, it's one where you have a bunch of letters that you shake up in a thing and you know, you've got all these letters. And then with a timer, you see how many words you can make out of uh, the letters that they're put together. And we just start playing that on our lunch breaks and we all got hysterical. We just laughed crazily the whole time. Yeah. But there, Alan is as wonderful a person as, as you would think he is from what you know, from all that he's done. Uh, and Rita is too. They're just, uh, it was, it was a wonderful experience. They were great. Wow. That sounds like a good time. So, um, more, I, I guess, 
I want to kind of back up and and sort of put a, a timeline, some years uh, when when you started in theater and then when you got in the restaurant business. When when did all of that start? The the theater first, I guess, was the first thing that you did, correct? Yeah. So I my started in theater uh, at the music circus, as I said, and then mm-hmm. uh, my grades in high school were awful, so it was. Uh, if there had been a chance for me to go go to college, I certainly shouldn't have taken it, but I didn't. <laughs> and the draft was in place at the time, and so and we were not at war with anybody. Uh-huh. Uh, I read somewhere recently that our country has not been in war for a total of fourteen years in our history, which is pretty frightening. But uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, this was uh, after the after Korean War and before Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I figured, well, I'll just enlist and get that over with so that I don't have the draft hanging over my head. Mm-hmm. So I spent four years in the Coast Guard. I went from, I did advanced uh, six pay grades in four years, which is pretty rare. I was a first-class radio operator when I got out. Again, it's one of those things where, why a radio operator? Did I have any? No, they needed radio operators, and so I applied for radio school, and got in, mm-hmm. barely made it through because I'm terrible uh, at memorizing. And of course, I had to memorize the Morse code oh. and learn touch typing at the same time. Wow. Okay. Uh, and I'm really glad I learned the typing. I enjoyed both of them. But uh, and I, I stayed on, and then I, after, the, after radio school, I stayed on the same ship, uh, the Coast Guard Cutter Bib out of Boston. It was a weather cutter. And uh, we would go out for about, it was about a month out and a month in. Uh, a month out was you sit on one square mile of ocean and uh, be there for search and rescue and, uh, and weather reporting. So we reported weather in the Atlantic back to the, to the States. This is well before satellites. Well, it wasn't that much before because actually Sputnik was launched while we were at sea at one, one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was... Kind of fun and a little scary, I guess, to to listen to the signal of a, of a Russian satellite, the first satellite that was launched. Mm. And four years, so after after uh, when I was in the Coast Guard, when I I always took my uh, my leave periods in the summer, and I would go to the music circus, and generally was able to uh, to work a show or two while I was on leave. And then when I got out. Of course, again, in, into uh, uh, working at the music circus uh, in the summer, and I started college at a junior college. Uh, where, and, and at the time, I thought I was going to be an engineer, become a, a civil engineer, because that's what the word was. That there were lots of jobs for engineers, mm-hmm. uh, and but I loved theater at that by that time. And I thought, well, I could, uh, I could theater could be an avocation, and engineering is how I'd make money. And so it was this first uh, semester at junior college, I took uh, calculus and physics and uh, uh, psychology, and I was carrying 19 credits and, and, uh, and got pretty close to a four point. Uh, clearly four years in the service made me a much better student. Yeah. The discipline and so forth, I would, I would imagine. And then I went to the university of Wisconsin and and people say, university of Wisconsin, why did you go there? Uh, and, and I, my answer is, uh, well, there are three possibilities and I'm not sure which one it was really the, the telling one. One thing was that, uh, they had a reputation as having a good theater department. Uh, two, they went to the Rose Bowl the year that I was considering it. <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't number one? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I was just, uh, they were in the news. Uh, and I was a football fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three, there was a, an article that I read in, in a magazine, uh, some men's magazine, Stag or something like that. Uh, and uh, it was titled Those Vanishing Virgins on Our College Campuses. <laughs> and the first 
sentence was, on the University of Wisconsin, the University of Wisconsin, <laughs> there's a seated statue of Abraham Lincoln, and the saying goes that whenever a virgin walks by, he stands up. He hasn't stood yet. <laughs> That is great. And no, I, I, I could don't see know why I went to the University of Wisconsin. <laughs> I, I just saw those two ends tying together. That's why I started laughing a little early. But the, the Lincoln uh, thing is hilarious. That is great. <laughs> that is great. So, <laughs> um, well, you know, a thought comes and, to mind. Yeah. yeah, I worked in theater each summer uh, while I was in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I got out of college, I was, uh, I already made enough contacts and, and, uh, and I guess I have to be a modest, but I'm pretty good at what I do when I do things <laughs> and, and it gets recognized. And so when you're doing something like stage managing, which is, uh, which is freelance work, uh, you know, every job is, has an ending. Even if you have a Broadway show, it's, it's going to be ending at some time and summer stock of course is you know maybe a 10 14 week gig mm-hmm. so the more people you know and you know just so when somebody's looking for a stage manager i say and then somebody will say oh get more mad at you. so i i did i did very well yeah yeah um i, I just kind of want to pause here with a, a question uh, that I've been thinking ever since uh, you've been going over your career and you commented early on that uh, there's not a lot of planning involved in in your life, which is is refreshing to hear, I think, for a lot of people. Um, You know, for example, my son, he uh, he loves drumming. He's good, you know, productive worker and stays at a job a long time, but he wants to play drums for a living. He's, you know, 26. And uh, we were just having this conversation the other day that kind of what you said, you know, uh, I forget the term you used exactly, but, you know, go make your living, go make your money somewhere else and then keep drumming. And then if an opportunity pops up to do it for a living, you know, you'll be ready, but just do both. And is what I told him based on, on what you've said so far, Mort, in uh, the, the wide variety of interests that you have and, and careers that you pursued and so forth. What advice would you give to a younger person that's pondering, you know, do I do I chase my dream, which may have an artistic side to it and, and, you know, do the more prudent thing and work or uh, do I plan? Do I not plan? What what would you tell a younger person today? Oh, boy, <laughs> uh, that's a great question. And then I don't have a great answer. Uh, the one thing I would say, I, I, yeah, I, maybe I do have a pretty good answer. The one thing is, in, in your life, there are things you're gonna, that you have to do, mm-hmm. that you don't want to do, that you'd rather not do. For example, if you're just a, if you're just taking care of yourself, you you may not like to do the dishes, you love to cook, but you don't want to do the dishes, or maybe you don't like either one, but you have to do them. And and there are things in our life. So sometimes there are jobs. That, that you that you have to do because you need some money. I mean, I, my go-to, uh, which is uh, uh, I mean, it's one of the jobs that I uh, did while I was in college was tending bar. Uh, I, did, I pretty much liked everything I've done, I think. But 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 there are t- but there are times. I guess what I'm really trying to get at is that, is the core thing is what you really want to do. If there's something that you have a burning desire to do, like and your son's uh, says playing drums, you, you need to keep doing that, and you should always have that as the as as the forefront. But you've got to take care of your needs. Yeah, you've got you've got to uh, do the dishes to and figure out a way to yeah. take care of your needs while you're. Uh, while you're pursuing your passion, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's, I mean, artists do that all the time. Sure. Know? Yeah. Uh, you just, you just figure out, okay, well, I have to do this. Uh, I mean, you know, in, in, uh, in New York and Hollywood, I think you'd find, uh, actors, uh, tending bar and waiting tables, uh, frequently, you know. Very common. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very common. So the the jump from theater to being a 
subsistence farmer. What what inspired you more to retire from theater, purchase a hundred acres, and become a subsistence farmer? Well, it, uh, the summer job theater brought me to uh, Concord, where I uh, rented this, one of my jobs as stage managing at the Concord Playhouse. Uh, and stage managers aren't allowed to do this anymore, but it was back then was finding housing for the uh, cast members. And there was a, a couple who had just sold a bunch of property on Cape Cod. They were, they were uh, land speculators. And they bought some properties in Agonquit, one of which was a motel and another one was a rooming house. And we became great friends because they didn't really want to make a lot of money, weren't, didn't necessarily want to make a, money, a lot of money uh, renting out the rooms uh so they were willing to do it at a price that we could afford for our actors and so we became great friends and the motel had a dining room and they invited me to dinner a lot and they said "Mort, if you have any money to invest buy land in this area it's going to go crazy and i took their advice and i looked around and uh and found the place uh, where i'm currently living it uh, it was a hundred acres. Uh, it had an old house on it. I think the house is about two hundred years old. Uh, and as I looked out across the field and back of the house, I said, "Is that west?" And they said, "Yep." I said, "The sun sets over there." Yep. And I didn't let them know it at the time, but that was the sale right there. And I, <laughs> to this day. One of my favorite things is to sit out in the back of the house and watch the sunset across the back of the field. Uh, and I bought bought it in uh, 19, they were asking $20,000 uh, in 1968. Actually, I negotiated for a year. I bought it in June of 1969 for $16,000. Uh, and that... 1969 was a very big year for me. Uh, that same year, I uh, fell in love with Barbara. She was the property mistress at the Playhouse. Uh, we had uh, both been at the Playhouse a year before, and she had worked for me at a job in New York during the winter, but we had absolutely no romantic interest in each other uh, up until June of 1969. And... Uh, and uh, I don't know if I should tell the story, but uh, <laughs> she will verify it. <laughs> uh, opening night of the Playhouse, she came up to me, and uh, this is 1969. She said, are you going to Valerie's? Well, it was a dumb question. It was the only place in town you could get food and drink after the show way back then. And I said, sure. She said, I'll save you a seat. I said, okay. Uh, and she was living right next door to Valerie's in an apartment over top of, uh, of some garages with an outdoor staircase going up. And she also knew that I had to lock up, that I was going to be the last one out. Went down, sure, there's a chair next to her. I sit down, we spend the night there. Now, I'm, I've got my car across the road, and I'm planning to drive out to the farm. for That's where I'm spending the night. Well, she gets me to walk her home which is right next door and it's raining and we're standing at the bottom of stairs kissing and i'm nobody will believe this but i was trying to leave and go home because a romance backstage romance early in the season is really not a good idea if it goes sour but the long story <laughs> short she uh convinced me to go up the stairs to get out of the rain and so she seduced me opening night of the season <laughs> <laughs> now let let me guess. You said that she might disagree with the. Uh, is that the part of the story? No, no, she, she agrees with the whole thing. Oh, she okay, okay. Yeah. Right. And, uh, well, and, and, and <laughs> the next part to follow, she you know, if you ask her why she did it, it was because she'd been taking birth control pills and she wanted to test them out. <laughs> 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 well, uh, and you were uh, happy to partake in the research. Yeah. Well, and, and then late as the season wore on, I fell in love with her. I mean, we yeah. obviously started uh, seeing a lot of each other, just spending a lot of nights together. And I asked her to marry me, and then she uh, she didn't say yes 
She said, uh, well, ask me again when you're sober. (laughs) (laughs) Which I did. Uh, And she still didn't know. Uh, She had just graduated from college. She's uh, nine years younger than I am. Mm. And, And she was, you know, embarking on her career. And it's really not a good time to start a relationship with when somebody's in transition like that. Uh, but we were living together and that was fine. And I said, well, it doesn't matter to me if we get married or not. This is fine. But if you want to get married, I'd like to do it before the end of the year for tax purposes. <laughs> so romantic, Mort. <laughs> <laughs> so we were married November 29th of 1969. <laughs> that is a great story. Um <laughs> My wife is pushing me to start another podcast of how couples met, and and this is the reason why these kind of stories are are uh, outstanding. And so, uh, I I just want to get off track just a second. A sidebar: since you brought up 1969, uh, we are recording this podcast on July 20th, 1969, the 50 year anniversary of the moon landing. So uh, that's one sidebar. The other one is. Uh, I know you're a big football fan. Before I forget to ask, you're in Maine, so you're obviously in Patriot com- uh, country. W- who are your teams, Mort? Uh, the Patriots, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've also uh, and, and I also have a soft spot for the Giants. And why is that a connection in New York, or do you just feel sorry for him? Yeah, I suppose so. You know, because I, I can't remember, I was living in New York for a number of years. Sure. And I was actually born in Manhattan. Oh, is that right? Okay. And uh, why Giants over Jets? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Pitney Properties. Pitney Properties provides real estate services to buyers and sellers located in and around the Houston area. Having been raised in Texas, LeBon Pitney is incredibly well-versed in the area's housing market and always manages to find her clients those hidden gems that other agents tend to overlook. LeBon's relentless style and integrity allow her to hold client satisfaction at her highest priority. She works hard to make the entire home buying and selling experience as is productive and enjoyable as possible. Whether her clients are first-time buyers or seasoned investors, LeBon works tirelessly to accommodate their needs and exceed their expectations. To learn more about LeBon's real estate services, please don't hesitate to call her today at 713-805-8871. That's 713-805-8871. Or contact LeBon at sold at Pitney Properties. So let's talk about the restaurant. How did the idea come to you of a farm-to-table restaurant way before the term became well-known? Oh, boy, there's... Um, uh, well, first of all, the, the, it didn't come to me. <laughs> uh, I mean, we... Uh, yeah, I think maybe we better go back because there are several pieces that kind of fit in there. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think I'll, if you don't mind, I'd like, unless we're running out of time. No, 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 we're fine. Go ahead. Okay. Take your time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, a year after we were married, mm-hmm. I found myself to be unhappy. Now, that didn't make any sense to me at all because I was... Now I own a hundred acres in Maine. Uh, I'm doing very well in my career. Uh, you know, it's like fame, fortune, and a trophy bride. You know, <laughs> and 
and I'm unhappy. I said, this is crazy. I don't know what to do with this, but I do know that happiness, I think, is what I should be working for. And I was playing bridge with some people. Uh, I don't know if you remember the, the television show, Mr. Belvedere. Uh, Chris Hewitt was, was Mr. Belvedere. He was playing, uh, here, yeah, just dropping another name. Sure. He was, uh, at the playing, he was one of the bridge players. Mm-hmm. Uh, my partner at the table at that time was, uh, Hal Hester, who was a songwriter and had written an off-Broadway show that ran for a number of years called Your Own Thing. And I said at the table, I said, if I could figure out a way to make a living outside of New York, I'd leave tomorrow. And Hal said, would you like to manage my club in San Juan? Well, yeah, I knew him mostly through broad, you know, the, New York, and I didn't know, I, I knew that he had something going on in San Juan, but I didn't know what. I said, tell me more. And uh, so I went home that night and I woke up Barbara and I said, would you like to move to San Juan? <laughs> and she sleepily said, well, that's fine. It's fine with me, but I know we'll never do it. Well, you don't ever tell me we're never going to do something because <laughs> that's just, you know, she claims that's why we did it. And in fact, we did uh, say this now. And again, she will verify this because it sounds unrealistic. Mm. I sublet the apartment in New York. We came up to Maine. Apparently the timing was just right to put an ad in the paper. And I was able to rent the house, uh, rent the farm. And we celebrated our first anniversary in San Juan. And that was one week after Hal offered me the job. Wow. So in one week, I sublet the apartment, rented the house, and went to San Juan. But an interesting thing is that when we were coming up here to the farm, to rent it, both of us kind of as as we're driving up, and we, we expressed this to each other much later, and certainly not at the time. This was where we were supposed to be. We both felt that this was us. That we should, Maine was where we we're supposed to be. So I managed a club in San Juan for a year and a half, and people who had, were uh, hiring me in New York. First, they hired me to come up to Miami to do a show. Uh, these are now industrial shows. Uh, those are like extended uh, uh, commercials, you know, sales meetings for uh, for sales staff and things like that. We did a lot of shows for Arrow Shirts and I did Worldwide Volkswagen and a bunch of others. Uh, at any rate, that brought me up from up to Miami and I thought, well, you know, that's fine. It cost as much to fly me from San Juan to Miami as it would from the, to fly somebody else from New York. Then they started flying me up to New York to put together shows. And it turned out that Barbara could handle the club was just fine. So it was great. So, you know, I'm double dipping essentially. Mm. Uh, and I figured, well, okay, if they'll, if they'll fly me from San Juan, they'll sure hire me out of Maine. And so that helped me make the transition to living in Maine. So in 1972, June of 72, we moved here to the farm and have never looked back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started growing through a small garden, uh, which expanded every year, uh, growing organic vegetables. Mm-hmm. So Josh grew up eating organic vegetables, eating food, uh, that we produced right here. We were uh, growing subsistence. We had chickens and we would, that's for eggs and for meat, uh, raised pigs, uh, raised a beef critter. So Josh saw me butchering a pig and butchering uh, beef uh, right here in our kitchen uh, with a book propped up in front of me <laughs> following the direction. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of like the beginning of, I mean, that's what he does now. I mean, he gets whole fish, he gets, he'll get a pig uh, and uh, cut it up and they'll make sausage and all that kind of stuff. So he grew up 
farm to table, although it was our own table. Uh, and and it, one of the things that he told me once when, when I said how people were saying, uh, people leaving the restaurant would say, it's the best meal I ever had. And I would tell him that he would say, how sad. And he said, I, I thought people ate like this all the time. Mm. So, so that's yeah, that's a long story about how the restaurant came into being. Uh, he's he started working in restaurants and and uh, uh, and when we it reached a point, well, jeez, uh, I'm just telling another story here. Oh, go he ahead. was at Eugene, Oregon, mm-hmm. when he. Uh, as I'm fond of saying, came out of his pot haze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he got a job in the largest restaurant in Eugene, the electric station, and uh, as, uh, as a dishwasher. Uh, and then and the executive chef kind of noticed, I guess, something in him and moved him out to the steam table for lunches. And then one time said, Josh, would you like to make the soup for tomorrow? And Josh says, uh, well, okay. And he went to the library and got a couple of books. Uh, and uh, he credits Julia Child. That was, uh, she spoke to him. Wow. He went in and made the soup the next day. Huh. Uh, a week or two later, people were calling up and saying, who made the soup before coming into lunch? Wow. In one year, he went from dishwasher to uh to assistant chef, uh, or to sous chef, replacing two assistant chefs and a sous chef. Mm-hmm. And we were out there visiting one time, and the executive chef uh, uh, stopped our conversation and said, I, I have to go inside, but there's one thing he wa- I want to say. He said, being a sous chef is not about cooking. It's about managing people. Mm-hmm. This is the best one I ever had. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that brings tears to my eyes when I say it now. Yeah. Well, uh, that's so a lot to be proud of. Putting that together with then, you know, the whole thing together, when he came back east uh, and he got a job, he did, he waited tables for a while. And I mean, he just, he's done everything, uh, everything in a restaurant except Penn Bar, uh, which, of course, is what I've done. So. <laughs> yeah. So we had it all covered. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he got a job as executive chef at, at uh, uh, Five O in Agunquit, uh and was doing really well there. And Barbara and I, I guess, were ready ourselves. Uh, we just thought he was ready, and and so we started looking for for a place. And that's how Joshua's came to being. And we. We were. We thought we'd be a destination restaurant. We didn't. We weren't looking for a great location, like on Route One. Uh, we thought that uh, uh, the Josh's food would bring people to wherever. Uh, and a realtor kept saying, oh, "You ought to look at this place." Uh, and finally, uh, Barbara at the time was uh, acting in a show in Portland and, and couldn't do it. But Josh and I went to look at the, uh, at the place that is now our restaurant. And we walked in there and we both could see it immediately. We knew this is the bar, this is the entranceway, this is the way, this is the dining room, this is the way it works. Wow. It was, uh, it was you know, we, we were just so excited. Yeah, yeah. Well, being, and it yeah, go ahead. Worked, and it's worked, you know, as, as we envisioned it pretty much. Yeah, and being a guest at Joshua's myself and meeting you for the first time more, it's obvious to me that you have a passion for what you do. Our overall experience was top-notch. And so what do you like most about the restaurant business? And on the flip side, what are some things maybe that you didn't expect when you got into the business? Well... Barbara and I thought maybe we would you know, open a restaurant before Josh was born. And boy, oh boy, are we glad that we didn't do that because we, did, we didn't know half of what, what it is. And that's, I think it's 
I think 50% of the people who start restaurants to fail in the first year. Uh, and it just, it, it just looks a lot easier than it is. And when you do what, what, and Josh is the genius behind this. I mean, I, I'm the farmer. I, I, I grow vegetables. That's, that's really, and I'm also the bookkeeper, but, uh, uh, but I don't have anything to do with, your experience uh, at dining there, uh, other other than I can uh, come around and 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 chat, which I enjoy doing, uh, and, uh, and and get praise for the wonderful vegetables I grew. <laughs> Yeah, and you're you're very good at that, by the way. I, I very much enjoyed the conversation. Hence, uh, the reason I asked you to be on the podcast. I just uh, I was really looking forward to this. So, but go ahead. Well, so that that's uh, I think your question was uh, what didn't I know or something. And again, it's for what what Josh is doing mm-hmm. with fresh food all the time. I mm-hmm. mean, sometimes people will come in and say you don't have. Havoc? Well, it's not on a cryovac package in the freezer that we can pull out and throw into a microwave and get on your plate. Mm. It's a fresh fish. That fish was was flopping around in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, you know, 48 hours ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we just we went through a period recently where Josh wanted to be closed for two days. And I was surprised that he said that because he said before that it was really doubly difficult because essentially he had to plan to close down because he couldn't keep some of the fresh fish, especially over the two days. If he didn't sell it on Sunday and was closed for Monday and Tuesday, he was throwing out a bunch of, of fresh food. So ordering and uh is really, really difficult and really key when you're doing everything fresh. And that's why a lot of people don't. Yeah. Tell us about your books. Uh, you mentioned early on uh, one of one of the uh, books, but uh, you have three. What, what are the titles and what are they about, Mort? Well, the first one I wrote was Gardening for Independence. And by independence, I, I meant... Uh, that if you have what you need, uh, if you can grow your own food, and you have a uh, and and you don't have a, a mortgage, essentially, mm-hmm. if your if your expenses are uh, electric and telephone and and even some of those can be uh, can be knocked out, mm-hmm. uh, and and taxes which can't be knocked out, uh, <laughs> you. You're independent. You can if if you uh, you're in a job that you don't like, or if uh, you something happens there, you can walk out. Uh, but so many people are are locked in, uh, and the, the greater their debt is, and all of that, it just uh, just makes you dependent on an employer. Uh, so that that was the the. Uh, where the title came from, and it, it's it's a gardening book that tells you how how to do it. And I, I'm pleased with the fact that I still I've reread it uh, a number of times and to see if it needs updating or doing something. And and I pretty much stand by everything that's in it now. Hmm. Uh, the second book has not been published. Uh, and I really can't understand why, and, and I hope you'll agree with me when I tell you the title. The title is, How to Improve Your Life and Save the World. <laughs> well, yeah. I, that, that definitely gets me to open it up and uh, at least read the preview. <laughs> well, it, it has not been published. It's, yeah. Part of it is on my website, uh, uh But... Uh, uh, at any rate, I don't, I don't expect it to ever, ever be published. Mm. And then my most recent book is a novel, and I'm very, very proud of that. It came out just so well. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's a series of stories uh, told by a boy growing up in the 1940s on a, on a farm in New Jersey. 
and it's uh, called the Stone Throw Orvis Stories. And uh, I don't cannot tell you where the name Orvi came from. I have no idea. I was I was just I just started writing, and that's the way it came out. Uh, and uh, and I started. I wrote. I, I belong to a, uh, a a writers group that meets uh, once a month, and uh, I wrote one of these for the writers group, and they loved it. And they just kept coming. And uh, about three or four years later, somebody said, you must have enough of these for a book by now. <laughs> I said, oh, well, that's an idea. <laughs> so, so I put them together and I found that, gee, Orvi was actually at different ages at different times. He had uh, uh, didn't always, his grammar was not always so good and his uh his vocabulary seemed to be greater at times and uh there were some things in there that kind of fit in uh, historically like the the end of uh, world war Two uh and things that happened to him on the farm uh like his parents celebrating uh the end of the war uh, and then celebrating a second time, and he got confused and said, I thought the war was over, and then find out that there were two wars. Uh, and uh, so I, I put them together in an in, in order like that, and then I worked with another author who read the whole thing and liked it very much and gave me some suggestions, and then I worked with another author, and he said, because at the time I was still thinking, well, it's a series of stories. And he said, he said, I think you have a novel. Mm. And, uh, and he suggested a couple of places that, uh, that could fill in some pieces. And so I wrote some more stories for that. And, uh, and there it is. And it's a novel and, and people really enjoy it. It's, uh, they get some laughs. Uh, some people have told me they cried at the end. Uh, and, uh, and I snuck in some of my philosophy here and there. So. Yeah. And, and so, um, you mentioned people can find these books on your website and your website is one more time is, uh, it's just my name, Mort Mather, M-O-R-T-M-A-T-H-E-R.com. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the website for the restaurant, Joshua's. Yes. Uh, that's joshuas.biz, B-I-Z. Okay. And, and it might, hmm? boy, that was what it was. It might, oh gosh, it might be different now. It might be joshuasrestaurant.com or biz. Yeah, I, I just I think if it, you Google Joshua's Restaurant Wells, Maine, you'd find it. Yeah, uh, you can, or I Google Joshua's uh, just Maine, and it pops up as well. So uh, it, it, you're you're fairly easy to find. But uh, there's a well, few you have to be a little bit careful because there's another Joshua's Restaurant in Maine. It's yes. in Brunswick. Yes, I saw that. I saw that as well. So yes, uh, every once in a while, people will show up uh, at seven o'clock on a Saturday night and say that they have a reservation and we oh, say, no. oh, I don't see you, you're not on the book. <laughs> well, I called at 11 o'clock this morning and mm. well, we have been totally booked for three weeks. <laughs> so I'm afraid you called a different Joshua's. Yes, it is Joshua's in Wells, Maine, W-E-L-L-S, Wells, Maine. Yes. How about the play, Mark? Can you give us a sneak preview? Uh... Yeah, well, a sneak preview may be all that there is. I'm not sure. I'm kind of stuck with it right now. It's the, it's 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 the it's the notion uh, that uh, well, let me see how to say it. Um, I've I've been debating global warming with a college roommate of mine for uh, oh. 15 or more years mm -hmm. uh he still doesn't think it's happening or he thinks that global warming is happening but uh, uh at any rate he's uh, he denies that it's uh that it needs to be taken care of mm -hmm. uh and i find 
that the arguments, the discussions that we've had and the way it goes are very similar to a dialogue that I had for several years uh, with another college roommate uh, on religion. And so I'm kind of, the idea is to put these two together uh, and because my, my religious roommate uh, told me that I had to get my act in gear because the end was near. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, so we've got religion taking you to the end is near and we've got uh, climate change. Uh, perhaps the end is near <laughs> and, and on that route. Uh, so the, the way the play begins is, uh, is a guy walks across the stage in sandals carrying a sign, the end is near. Mm. And then later on, some guy goes across holding a, a, uh, an iPad or, a, or something like this, some electronic device. And he's also carrying a sign, the end is near. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that, that uh, definitely piques my interest. Of course, both topics are uh, controversial, and uh, you know, very um, uh, the sides are split on them. So, a uh, lot lot of conflict, which is, of course is what makes uh, any story interesting. So that that sounds like it's off to a very interesting start. Well, we'll see. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pull it off, but I'm, mm. I'm fooling around with it. We'll see. Yeah. Well, Mark, this has been one of the uh, writers that I worked with on on uh, on Orby's stories. Uh, at one point, said said you're not writing a play here. This is there's too much dialogue, and it kind of struck me because there I of course as a theater major uh, and someone who was an aspiring director at one point, I've read hundreds, if not thousands, of plays. Uh, so yeah. I thought, well, maybe I should be writing a play. <laughs> that is great. You, uh, you don't seem like the kind of person that is ever afraid to try anything if um, if it makes sense, and that's that is very refreshing. And and uh, this has been a wonderful conversation, Mort. I've I've really enjoyed this, and um, we'll of course have all the information about Joshua's restaurant and your books on the Eurocron website as well. So um, we come to what we call our legacy question on Yurkron. What I like to say is our legacy question. And that is, if in 100 years someone is listening to this podcast, maybe even uh, an extended family member, what do you want them to remember about you, uh, perhaps your life, uh, maybe even a life lesson, or, or anything in general, Mort? Oh, golly, I don't know that anybody needs to remember anything about me. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's other than to, that I had a wonderful life and that I hope that, uh, that they do and, and that I think, I think the pursuit of happiness is, is what put me on the right track. Uh, fame and fortune aren't worth a damn. Uh, it's, it's, it's your life. Uh, this is advice that uh, <laughs> this is advice I gave Josh way back. Uh, he grew up in a house where all the food was uh, organic and natural, where his mother was baking uh, homemade whole wheat bread, and we ground the wheat, uh, and uh, and we talked a lot about food. And I don't know, he was probably about ten, I guess, and he, or maybe younger. And he came home from school and he said, I traded my sandwich for a fluffernutter. <laughs> now his sandwich, of course, was homemade whole wheat bread, real peanut butter and honey. Mm. And he thought that he was going to get a big reaction for that. And I said, it's your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's your life. Yeah. Don't, don't live it for don't live it for somebody else. Find out what makes you happy. And, and, and the happiness thing I've found is, is making other people happy, I guess, basically. It's just, uh, uh, yeah, what makes me happy is happiest is, is seeing other people happy. Yeah. Well said, sir. Well said. 
Well, Mark, thank you again for being our guest on your cron today. That was a lot of fun. And um, maybe we can do a follow-up sometime down the road. I, I sure would like to. It, it's been wonderful visiting with you. Well, great. Thank you. I enjoyed it too, Scott. Thank you very much. Hey everyone, Scott here to let you know about a special promotion we're having at Your Cron. We are looking for companies that would like to advertise on our podcast. So we are offering advertising space at $25 per podcast. That's only 25 bucks to have your business on a podcast episode. That means every time the episode is played, people are going to hear about your business. And your commercial stays on that podcast forever. So that's a great deal, right? So if you're interested, email me, scott at yourcron.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at Y-O-U-R-C-H-R-O-N.com. Scott at yourcron.com. I would love to hear from you. Bye.